Father, I just, um, I always love to just stop here in this moment to remind myself and to remind all of us who are here that you really love us and that there's not a person here that you don't care deeply about. And Lord, you know all of us too. You know what we think, you know what we feel, you know what we believe. Um, And I'm just going to ask God again this morning, the second time around, that you would just come and that you would truly fill this room with your presence. And I'm going to, God, I just pray that you, because we need you this morning, and we need you to open the eyes of our heart to truly be able to understand and to know you. And that's why we're here, because we want to know you. So, Lord, I I just pray that you'd open all of our hearts, open the eyes of our hearts so we can see. And and then, Lord, I want to ask, too, again, would you anoint me? I just pray, God, I'm going to do my best to explain, but would you just make, would you make your word come alive and touch us deeply? We pray for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you guys. So um, as Patrick said, we're in this series called Lovelution. It's kind of fun because we got to make up our own word in case you haven't been here. And it comes from, obviously, the, the word revolution. And the definition of a revolution, again, is when there is a dramatic change in the way something works or in our ideas about it. The way we believe about something, when something works differently, it's a a revolution, a dramatic change. In what John, by the way, we're in the book of 1 John. So if you have your Bibles, uh, you can grab that and we'll be in chapter 2 today if you want to be ready for that. And um, and again, I just want to say almost every week, I want to encourage you as well, if you you struggle like with reading the Bible, because it can be really confusing at times, one of the greatest things you can do is when we're actually going through, because we're going to go through 1 John all the way up through Christmas Eve, um, be great book to read. Just to grab, if you don't have a Bible, grab one in the back, but, but read First John with us and watch how I think God can speak to you personally as you're reading through that. So, but in the book of First John, he starts off and he says, listen, I'm going to write this to you guys and here's why. Because I've seen Jesus and I've heard Jesus and I've touched him. That's how I lived my life with him. For three years, John could say, I shared life with Jesus Christ. And now, I'm writing this to you because I want you to have fellowship with us. And that word fellowship again means I want you and I to jointly participate. The word fellowship means to share your life with, to jointly participate in something. And John says, so I'm writing this letter to you because I want you to join our fellowship. And then he says this awesome thing. He says, and our fellowship is with God and with Jesus Christ. So what he's saying is this, I saw him, I heard him, and I touched him. I lived my life with him, and I still do. I have fellowship with God, and it's real. And so then he says, that's why I want to write this thing. And then what he says is, when you actually have fellowship with God, when you jointly participate with his life and you share his life with him, everything changes. And that's where we came up with the idea of love-illusion. 
When God's life and his love actually penetrates into your life and you share life with God, not go to church, not know things about God, but actually know him intimately, he goes, everything changes. And so that's what we're talking about. I've I've just loved going through this book together. And today, what we're going to look at is the fact is this, is we're going to talk about a love-illusion with Jesus. So one of the things that will happen is if you start to really engage in God's life and share his life with you, there's going to be a dramatic change in how your life works with Jesus. There's going to be a dramatic change in your idea about him. There will be a love illusion. So, before I jump in the passage, let me just share with you a little bit of background. Um, the church is young at this point. In fact, the whole Christian faith is still relatively new. And one of the things we know is right after Jesus Christ died and he rose again, and then he came back and he, prese- he, he hung around his disciples, and then he ascended back into heaven, and then he started the church. And this is, he, the Holy Spirit came inside the church, and Peter, this guy who was really scared, who was running away from everybody, all of a sudden was emboldened and he came out and he said, oh my goodness, everybody, let me tell you about who Jesus is. Let me tell you who you just nailed to a cross and let me share the truth about him. And it says on that day, 3,000 people joined him. So, I mean, that's, that's pretty good church growth right there. 3,000 in a day, that's not bad. So, but what was happening is this church was growing, it was new, and it was a little chaotic. And one of the things that was happening is there were people who were in the church, people who were saying that they were followers of Christ, that they were Christians, and they were teaching things, and they were living in certain ways that were completely the opposite of Jesus. That's why John wrote this letter. So basically, it'd be like him looking at K2, it'd be like us at K2, and having people who are here teaching things and living certain ways, saying, this is what it is to know Christ. And John's going, oh my goodness, you guys know, I've seen him, I've touched him, I've heard him. This is the message that he gave to us. It's nothing like them. So there, there was this group within the church claiming to be Christians, and there were pretty much three different things where there were huge differences. And you'll see these, is if, if you read First John, you'll see these themes kind of just weaving through. For five chapters, they weave through with each other. The first thing you see is this. This group of people were living lives that were completely outside of God's way. They were living in sin. They didn't feel like it was any big deal at all to be able to live however you wanted to live. And so you'll see, and we're going to talk about that actually next week, where John just goes, wait a second, you guys. These guys can't be following Christ because they're not living. They're actually living in the darkness. We talked about this a few weeks ago. And if you're in the darkness, you can't have fellowship with God who's in the light. The second thing that these guys were about is they just didn't love people. They didn't love. They were so consumed with their own spiritual experience and their own lives, they didn't care about other people. And so they hoarded their time and they hoarded their resources and they weren't forgiving. They wouldn't forgive people and they wouldn't accept certain people. And again, John stands up and he goes, wait a second, you guys, did you guys see anything about Jesus? His whole message was you got to love each other. And then, what we're going to look at today, so you got people who, first of all, were living in sin and didn't care at all about their, the character of their lives. Second thing is they weren't loving people at all. And John said, those are not people you want to follow. 
And he said the third thing is this, and what we're going to look at today, is they were teaching things about Jesus that just weren't true. Completely wrong views of who Jesus Christ was. In in 1 John chapter 2, later in this chapter, in verse 26, he says, I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. They're trying to lead you astray. And so, and the reality is, you guys, in, in our own culture, there are lots of churches who will say they're Christian churches. And yet, the message that they preach is something really different than the message that came from Jesus. And, and the whole point is, is as soon as you think wrongly about Jesus and his teachings, then everything else gets skewed as well. And John is saying, no, no, I want you to have fellowship with God. I want you to know Jesus personally and intimately. So it's really important that you actually know who he is. And that's what he wants to talk about today. All right? So that's where we're going. Who is Jesus? Who did he say he was? And who does John say he is? The guy who walked with him closely for three years. Okay, you ready? Okay, four of you are. The rest of you, there's great coffee, Christmas trees for sale. Okay, all right, all right, all right, I'm kidding. All right, here we go. Uh, Chapter two, start with verse 18. Hey, and I do just want to say, I'll just be honest with you, this message um, is going to be a little, I mean, it's just, you're going to have to really think with me, okay? Going to be a lot of teaching today in this thing. Hang with me. Dig deep in your heart, wrestle with the stuff that we're going to go through today, okay? Chapter 2, verse 18. John starts off and he says this, Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard, that the Antichrist is coming. Woohoo! You guys ready? Get to talk about the Antichrist. Now some of you are sitting here going, oh my God. I can't believe I showed up on this day when he's going to talk about the Antichrist. Some of you are thinking, man, I just brought my friend. They came for the first time and he's going to talk about the Antichrist. You know, because as soon as you hear the word Antichrist, what are some images that pop up in your mind? Damian. What's that? Damien? Okay. What else? Television. Television? <laughs> what else? Okay, horns. I mean, you know, you, you think Antichrist and it becomes this really weird figure. Well, prophet. False prophet. Okay, good. So here's... Here's what it says. And John says, you already know. So this community knew this. There was teaching that in the last days, right before the end of time, before Jesus comes back, there will be what's called an antichrist. And really what this is, you guys, it's a person. It is a person. Jesus talks about this. He says there will be an antichrist. There will be someone at the end of days during the culmination of time. And he's going to be supernaturally empowered. He's going, to, he's, going to have, he's going to be very compelling and he's going to be teaching people and he's going to be doing amazing, powerful things. Uh, Paul says the same thing. John makes it really clear. There is an antichrist that's going to come and in those last moments, he is going to be completely against God and completely against all of his children. And he says, that's coming, all right? Now, that's all I'm going to tell you about that, all right? So there you go. Because John goes on, and he's not going to talk about the Antichrist who's going to be engaged at the end of time. He goes on and he says this, Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. And this is how we know it's the last hour. 
They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. See, so automatically right now, what he's talking about is this group of teachers, these people that he says, I want to make sure you understand about these people who've been trying to lead you astray. See, they hung with us for a little while, but their teaching was so different that eventually they left. And they did something completely different, which was the right thing to do because what they were telling you wasn't the truth about Jesus. Okay? And he goes on. Verse 20. But you, and he, again, and again, he's not, he's talking to followers of Christ here. He's talking to his church. He's talking to people who believe in him. You have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I don't need to write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who's the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. All right. Let me explain some of the stuff. The first thing we have to understand about this whole Antichrist deal is what does the word Christ mean? Okay? Now, we grow up in our day and age, and we just hear Jesus Christ, and we think it's like David Nelson, right? It's just Jesus' last name, right? Christ. No. So uh, what does the word Christ actually mean? What it means is the anointed one. The anointed one. It is the same word. There's another word for the word Christ. Anybody know what it is? Messiah. It's the same word. Messiah and Christ means the anointed one. Now, to anoint, initially, it meant just to take oil and you would rub it on. But what eventually, what it really meant, though, is when, when someone was anointed with oil, it was a symbol, again, that God had chosen a specific person and he was going to endow that person for his power with his anointing to accomplish the certain task that he had given them. Kings in the Old Testament were anointed because they were chosen by God, and now he was going to empower them to do his calling. So that's what it meant. But in the Old Testament, you'll find that there was one who was the anointed one, filled with God's spirit in an unparalleled way. Because that's really, eventually by the New Testament, what you see is when someone talked about the anointing, it meant that you were receiving the Holy Spirit of God who was empowering you for a special reason, okay? So, what, when we see anti-Christ then, what we're really hearing is anti-Messiah or anti-the anointed one. Now, let me show you why this is so important about Jesus, okay? In Luke chapter 4, verse 16 through 21. So it's kind of early in his stages. It says this, Jesus went to Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom and he stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him unrolling it he found the place where it is written so seriously you guys so basically what's happening here is he's showing up to church okay it was Jewish church and he stood before the people and he unrolled the scroll now people by the time Jesus showed up the, the Israelites, the Jewish people, were living under, sorry, living under Roman rule. 
They were under much oppression. They knew that there was this anointed one, the Messiah who was supposed to come, the Christ. And they were longing for him. They were waiting for him. They believed with all of their being that he would come and deliver them from this massive oppression. And so here's Jesus, and he opens up the scroll to Isaiah, and they all know, believe me, they knew their scriptures. And they're like, awesome, we love this passage. So he opens it up, and what does it say? The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. See, there it is right there. See, this is the passage about the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior. So Jesus starts reading, goes, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, just like yours on me. It's great. Just kidding. All right. And he began, but here's the point, you guys. Think about it. He just read one of their favorite prophecies in a time of oppression that maybe he's going to teach us more so we can understand the Messiah. So he rolls up the scroll and their eyes are fastened on him because this is so key to them that this deliverer would come. In verse 20 says, it says, 21, it says, he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And I, I know that not, I don't know if any of you have Jewish background. Most of us don't. We can't fathom what happened in that moment. For hundreds of years, they waited to be delivered. And Jesus, in that moment, was saying, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. He's anointed me. And this is being fulfilled in your presence. I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. I am the anointed one. I'm the Savior. Incredible moment. Then, at the end, right when Jesus was going through his hideous trial, and um, now, so that was at the beginning of his life, of his ministry. Now, at the very end, when Jesus is going through this time where he's been brought in, in, uh, in Matthew chapter 26, verse 63, it says, the high priest said to him, so they had Jesus. Now, the high priest, right, he really knew the scripture. He knew everything about this whole idea of Christ and Messiah. He says, I charge you, he's looking at Jesus, he says, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Under the oath of the living God, I charge you. This is the high priest, you had to listen to this guy. Tell us if you are the Christ. Tell us if you are the Son of God. And Jesus replied, yes, it is as you say. Yes, I am. Do you guys, do you see how clear, just in those two places right there, how clear it was that Jesus Christ saw himself as the anointed one? (laughs) Whatever anybody else said, there was something he believed about himself. He believed that he was the Messiah. He believed he was the Christ. He believed he was the anointed one. He believed he was the son of God. 
He believed he was the savior of the world. And that right there establishes everything. So when you have anti-Christ, what it really means is anti-Messiah. It means anti-savior. It means anti-son of God. Um, the definition, again, if you hear when John talks about Antichrist, I thought, lad, we were working on this message together. He said it well. He goes, it's the idea or belief that Jesus is or was something or someone other than the Messiah. You guys follow that? The Antichrist is simply the idea or belief that Jesus is or was something or something other than the Messiah. That's all, that's what it is. I don't buy it. That's just antichrist means I'm against that Messiah idea. I'm against the Savior thing. Notice that it isn't anti-Jesus. He goes, there are many anti-Jesuses among you. He doesn't say that. He goes, there's an anti-Christ issue that's going on. See, it's, it's against, and I, and I think really, to be honest with you, in our day and age, there's a lot of people who don't have any problem with Jesus. It's the idea that Jesus is saying this radical thing that he thinks he's the savior of the world. <laughs> you know, that's, I mean, when you watch this thing, the video that we watched, there were a lot of people who would say, man, I think he's really inspiring some people. And that's great. I appreciate that. Now he's got some good morals and he's got some good teachings. Okay. So we don't have a problem. It's not anti-Jesus. It's the whole idea though, that Jesus would be claiming this radical thought of actually being a savior or the Messiah. So their teaching, the, the people that Jesus was dealing with in his day and age, what they were, their teaching basically was this. There's no way that divinity and humanity can coexist. Okay? They're just saying that can't happen. Now, I'll be honest with you. If you looked around the world, I think most of us would say the same thing, right? So what they were saying was divinity and humanity can't happen at the same time. So basically what they're saying is there's no Christmas, Okay, this whole idea that God was born and, you know, into the world, that whole idea of the incarnation can't happen, okay? Because that would be miraculous. And so, and I, I think, for, again, in our day and age, I think there's a lot of people who don't have a problem with Jesus as a good guy or as a good teacher, but when it comes to him thinking that he was God, they got a real problem with that. And just like the people that John was writing to as well. And now, so what they would say is some of the specific teaching was this. They believed that when Jesus was baptized, that he experienced a God consciousness. There was a spirit of God that came upon him in his baptism and gave him a God consciousness. So this guy, Jesus, you know, the builder and carpenter who was just from Nazareth, he was like this really good guy who just was really enlightened and had a lot of wisdom and a lot of insight, okay? That's what they were teaching. But the whole thought that he was born, that God actually was born into the man, See, they also believe that right before he was crucified, the Spirit left him. So he came at baptism, helped this guy out, Jesus, for three years, and then he took off. Because God couldn't be born as a man, and God definitely couldn't die. Humanity and divinity can't coexist at the same time. That's what they were teaching. Now, a key thing is, I'm sorry, I don't want to repeat myself, but a key thing is, and I just want to say, many of you, maybe even in this room, you, you, and I hope you're here, if you believe that same thing, every, every person in the world who doesn't believe Christianity, and that's a lot of people, okay, don't believe that Jesus was God. That's, that's the core issue here, okay? So that just, and, and if you're there today, I just want to say, that's okay. 
See, the problem that John had and why he wrote this book is that people who were claiming to be Christians were teaching that Jesus really wasn't the Messiah, that he wasn't the Christ. What they were claiming is he was just a really good guy who gave us an example who was a good teacher. And that's where John just goes, whoa, 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 okay? That's a problem. Because if you want to believe that, you have all freedom to believe that. Just don't call it Christianity. Do you guys see what I'm saying? So what he's saying is, that's just a completely different belief system. To believe that Jesus was was just those things and not God in the flesh is not what Jesus thought about himself. It's not what he taught. It's not what he said. It's not what we believe. And so don't call yourself Christian and teach things that aren't true about Jesus. Call it something else. That's fine. That was John's issue in this book. Now, so here's what I want to show you. Because it, okay, it is critical what you believe about Jesus. Another term is it's, it's actually pivotal. You guys know like a pivot? You know, it's, when something is pivotal, it can go in one direction or another direction. In fact, the definition of pivotal is this. It's of crucial importance in relation to the development or success of something else. If something is pivotal, it's a crucial importance to the relation to the development of something or someone else. And I just want to tell you, all of you in this room, me included, I don't care if you've been a Christian for 50 years. I don't care if you've gone to divinity school and have a master's in theology. It doesn't matter. I don't care if you're here and you're not even sure what you believe about Jesus. I can tell you this. What I believe about Jesus Christ is pivotal. It is of crucial importance to my development into my relationship with God. And what you believe about Jesus, not just if you're a good person, not just if you love people, what you believe about him is of critical, crucial importance about your development and how much you will actually share in the life of God, how much you will have fellowship with him. You know, Susan, I've been married for 12 years. And, we, and I love her. And I've pursued her for that length of time. And she's pursued me. And we've grown in that. But I'm telling you, man, I hope we have, hold my, 30 more years maybe, you know? I mean, I hope I have a whole lot more time with her. And here's the deal. As long as I keep pursuing Susie and she keeps pursuing me, what's going to happen? We're going to know each other more. And it's going to get even better. And it's going to be even more intimate. Okay? But I got to know who she is. And you and I need to know who Jesus is. It's pivotal. So now let me share with you four things. Um, Why is it such a big deal if we're against Christ? That would be anti-Christ. If we're anti-Messiah or anti-Savior. Why is it such a big deal if we're against him or if we're with him? Because what we like to say, if I can be honest, if I can, what we like to say in our culture is it's not that big of a deal. Okay? John thinks it's a big deal. Why? All right, here we go. I'm going to give you four things. The first one is this. One, on one side, you have the opportunity to deny that Jesus is the Christ. That's what the scripture said. You just deny that. I don't think Jesus was the Messiah, the anointed one. That's one choice. On the other side of the pivot, you have the chance to actually believe that he was and to believe that he is. 
Now here's, here's what happens. If you are denying that Jesus is the Christ, then what you're doing is you're denying Jesus' testimony about himself. Do you, do you understand that? So I'm sorry. So, we're, we're, that's, so it's almost like Jesus is standing in a court of law and he stands up and he gives his testimony. In fact, that's exactly what was happening to the high priest. And the high priest looks at me and says, who tell us under the oath of God, are you the Christ? And Jesus goes, yes, I am. And what's the high priest do? You liar! I mean, literally, right, he rips his clothes, these holy garments, and he says, blasphemy! Come on, now you all heard him! See, what he was saying was, I don't believe your testimony, Jesus. I deny that you're the Christ. I call you a liar. See, that's one of the choices that we have. Oh, and and as well, if you're denying that Jesus is the Christ, you're also denying the testimony of John. Because that's John's testimony. He goes, listen, I walked with him, I talked with him, I ate with him, I listened to him, I was closest, one of the three closest people to him for three years. And here's my testimony about him. John, I deny that. So literally what we're saying is, John, you're a liar. Now, if you were in a court of law, okay, and and you were the jury, and a person gets up and they give their testimony, your whole job is to do what? (laughs) Is what? Are they telling the truth or are they lying? (laughs) Your whole job as a jury is to figure this out. Is this guy telling me something that's true or is he lying to me? And see, that's where the pivot is. Because I'm telling you what, as the jury, when you make that decision, is that a huge deal? That's a big deal. Now, in this sense, it's a big deal because what you decide is going to affect that person. In this case, it's a big deal what you believe about Jesus because you're deciding whether he's telling the truth about himself and whether you're going to believe that or not. And you're the one who actually gets affected by that. And their argument, the people in John's church, was this. I will not listen to Jesus. Jesus, I'm going to tell you who you are. Now, I don't know if I was in the white box a couple weeks ago and talked about the whole idea that to know anything takes objective and subjective knowledge. I can't go into that, but if you want to listen to the message two weeks ago, go ahead and listen to that. But I just want to tell you this. Objective knowledge is this. It's when you have to, you can't tell me who I am. I can only tell you who I am. And see, it, it, when, it, when you want to learn anything about any topic or any subject, you have to study it. And you can't tell it what it is. You have to humble yourself and actually learn and let it reveal its essence to you. That's how you learn the truth about anything. Whether it's mathematics or biology or science or language, you have to submit yourself to it and say, tell me who you are. Well, when Jesus told them who he was, this group of people calling themselves Christians were saying, you're a liar, Jesus. <laughs> you guys, and he's going, well, wait a second. And John's just going, you guys, don't listen to their teaching. What they're saying about him is not what he has said about himself. Now, so in 1 John 2, 20 through 23, it says this. But you, now he's talking to his, the people in his church, You have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. 
That's what he's saying. You're denying what Jesus has said to you. And that's a lie. Now, their argument makes a big difference. That's the first reason why what you believe about Jesus is pivotal. Let me tell you the second reason. Because if Jesus is not the Messiah, if you deny that, then what they were really saying was this. But he was a good guy. So that's your other option. Here's where it's pivotal. So Jesus can be a good guy, and he can be a good teacher, and he can be a really good example on this side. Or he can actually be the son of God on this side. See, and again, what what they said was he had God consciousness. He was an amazing person. We really appreciate him, you know. But they never saw him truly as a son of God. Now, but here's the reality, though, you guys. If Jesus was saying, tell us if you're the Christ, and he's going, Yes, I am. Tell us if you're the son of the living God. Yes, I am. In your presence, this is fulfilled. If he's saying that, and all of the rest of us are looking at him and saying, dude, uh, no, you're not. You're really not. Then there's two options, really. Then Jesus, at best, was delusional. Okay? Seriously, I mean, if someone's sitting there saying, hey, here I am, I'm God in the flesh. If you ran into someone today and someone told you, I'm Jesus Christ, what would you do? Yeah, you'd laugh. You'd go, okay, um, the uni is right up over here. And you, seriously, though, you would look at someone and say, okay, it's okay, I love you, I appreciate you, but you're delusional. You're not God. Jesus was claiming to be so. So to deny that is to tell him, Jesus, you're you don't, you don't have it all going on here. That's one option at best. At worst, Jesus was completely a liar. For some reason, he was trying to deceive everybody around him. And see, so those are our options. It's like, who was this guy who thought he was God, thought he was the Messiah? Either he's crazy or he's a liar. Those are your two options. See, so if you want to go down this road that he was just a good guy, I, I'm, I just, are either of those good? See, delusional or a liar isn't good. But everybody was amazed by him. See, there is another option, and the other option is what? He was telling the truth. He was just telling you, this is who I am. Okay? Now, and here's the most critical point of what I want to share with you today on this pivotal thing. If on this side you want to say that Jesus, and deny that he was the Christ and believe that he was just a good guy, then here's the consequence of that. If he was just a good person, then there is no salvation. None. And you and I are left completely to our own righteous good works. You are left to yourself to be good enough before God. That's all we've got. If Jesus Christ was only a good guy, if he was only an example, if he was just a teacher, then there has been no salvation and every single one of us is left to stand before God within our own goodness. You guys ready for that? I mean, seriously, do, but some of you, really, you got to think about this. If there's no salvation, then you are achieving and working for your own salvation. 
See, on this side of the pivot, you guys, all you have are your works. And I want to tell you, there's, in, from my personal opinion, as a follower of Jesus, there's nothing more hideous, nothing more um, burdensome, nothing more heavy, nothing more scary than hoping that you're good enough for God. Now, but if he was who he said he was, if he's the Christ, if he's the Messiah, and you believe that, then he was the Savior. So what does that mean on this side? That means there actually is salvation. <laughs> See, and what that means is that his, his life, if he was telling the truth, sorry, if he was telling you the truth, then his life, I don't know why this thing got goofy, sorry. Then his life, if he was really God in the flesh, he lived out in front of us everything that was right and everything that was good and everything that was loving. In fact, that's why people who still, they want to say he was a good teacher because they go, because if everybody could actually live like Christ, this world would rock, right? See, because we like the way he loved. We like the way he served. We like the way he forgave. We like the way that he stood for justice. We like the fact that he loved every person. We love all those things about Jesus. See, so he showed us what is reality, who we're really supposed to be. But if he was also the Messiah, if he was the anointed one, if he had the Holy Spirit of God unparalleled to anybody else, then everything he said was true. So his teachings are ones that you can hold to and follow and experience, and they're awesome. And there has been a salvation that's accomplished for everyone. And you guys, that means that it's no longer based on your works, but it's based on his work. Let me say that again. Because of Jesus Christ, your salvation and your standing before God no longer depends on your works. It totally depends on his work. Yeah, so you can clap, Mary. I mean, seriously, that is a... See, and I, and I know if you're not a follower of Christ here today, I've been praying that maybe this... You, so that you would at least know what the real message of Christ is. And that is, we have a Savior who's accomplished something on our behalf. And that's why just a few weeks ago we talked about where Jesus said, listen, here's the deal. You can stand in your own righteousness, but none of us are that good. None of us are that good. So I will come in and live a perfect life, and I will take on the punishment for your sin. God the Father will punish me for your sin. And here's the coolest thing about God. He's holy, and he's just, and he would never punish one sin twice. See, that would be unjust, right? Spank your kid, boom, boom, right? Hey, and again, you just went, that's just, you'd be going, hey, that's just wrong, right? God's holy, and he's just. He has already punished Christ for your sin. And so when you receive that, you're free in their salvation. And what John was saying, you guys, is listen, I saw him, I heard him, I touched him, and I know his message. And what these guys are telling you is a lie. He was not just good. You are not left to your own. You don't have to try to do good things anymore. Your works aren't good enough. His is. So funny, I was, as I was talking with Susie this week about this, she said the best thing that you're going to hear today. Um, and she just culminated it in this for me. 
if you're on this side of the pivot, then Jesus makes no effectual difference in your life with God. None. Now he might, his life or his teachings might inspire you, but it literally doesn't bring any dramatic change. There's no revolution that happens in your life because he was just a guy that you might try to emulate. And again, anybody tried to emulate Jesus? Try to be like him? And then you just get frustrated again because you can't do it. She says, but on the other side, Jesus makes all the difference. On this side, he makes no difference in your relationship with God. On this side, as the Messiah and as the Christ, he makes all the difference. (laughs) Because of Christ, we are free. Because of Christ, we are forgiven. Because of Christ, we are reconciled and brought back into a relationship with God. See, that changes everything. I'm no longer out here anymore by myself trying to be good enough for God. I have received absolute forgiveness and pardon of all of my sin, like all of it. And that means I am free. It says he sees me without blemish and without accusation. And as soon as you believe that, he says you receive me. And there is a spiritual transaction that takes place and the love illusion begins. And when that happens and God's life begins to share with yours, everything changes. So here's the last thing I'll share. In John, 1 John chapter 2, verse 23 through 25, he said this, no one who denies the Son has the Father. And whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. See that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, even eternal life. Okay, so here's what John is saying. If you're on this side where Jesus was just a good guy, he's saying the truth is you don't have God. But if you've received Christ and all of your sin is forgiven, you've been reconciled with God. And now you have him. Now he can live in you. Now this God who is perfect and holy and righteous and good and loving can come inside your very heart. It is the most spiritual, deeply transforming experience there is possible in this world. That's what he says is the truth. Now again, what John, if he was here today, what he would say to all of us, you and me both, he would say, now if you want to believe something different about Jesus, that's okay. Just don't say it was the message he taught. It's not Christianity. Christianity is the greatest news in all the world. So, and, and, and um, uh, as, as I get ready to close here, it was interesting, I was stu- as I was studying this stuff, I know, potentially, in the room this size with as many of you who are in here, and definitely in the world in general, there's a sense where people will say, Christianity is so exclusive, Right? I mean, how dare you say that I can't have God? You know, it's just like, if, if, unless I believe in Jesus. See, because, and Jesus said this. He goes, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. 
Um, a guy I've been listening and learning a ton from, a pastor in New York called Tim Keller, uh, we were watching a video series in my small group, and he said in this video series, he said, okay, because he's just talking to six people who don't believe in Jesus, and he said, would you guys just have a, give, give Christians a little bit of sympathy here? He goes, because it's not that we want to say that. He's just saying, but we're just trying to be faithful to the one who we believe came as God in the flesh. So just chill with us. We're just trying to tell you what he said. It's not necessarily what we even want to believe, but we believe it because it's what he said. But then he went on, you guys, and let me share this with you. This was so critical for me because people outside the Christian faith will have a tendency to say, that's really exclusive for you to say that only if I receive Christ do I have access and now can have God. But Keller, what he said is, he goes, okay, well then tell me, what's the other option? If Jesus isn't the Christ and he's not the Messiah and he was just a good guy and there's no salvation, then what's the option? And what we'll hear in our world is, well, because all good people, I mean, just good, every good person should be able to go to heaven. Every good person should be able to be with God. And Keller just said this, he goes, well, thanks a lot, because now you've excluded me. He goes, because I'm not good. He goes, I don't know about you. He goes, I've read the Ten Commandments. I've broken them. Anybody else? He goes, I've read this golden rule, you know, treat others as you want to be treated. He goes, and I don't always do that. Do you? He goes, so now you've told me that I have to be good to get into heaven, and I'm screwed. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, That's just how it came out. But, here, but his point was, he goes, do you want to talk about being exclusive? You're saying that only good people get to be with God, and I know I'm not. That's exclusive. But God so loved the world. He so loved everybody on this planet that he sent his one and only son so that anyone who would believe on him could receive eternal life. See, so when you really look at it, actually, Christianity is it, it's the most non-exclusive. Is it exclusive in the sense that Jesus says, I'm the one, I'm the Messiah? Yes. But it's the most broadband welcome to every person. And the greatest news for you today is it doesn't matter how good you've been. It doesn't matter how bad you've been. It doesn't matter how screwed up you are. It doesn't matter. God says, I loved you when you were so far away from me and could do nothing for me. I so love the world, I gave my son. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas. That, I'm, I'm just telling you, that's why I think it's, well, it's called good news. The gospel means good news. You guys, there's no greater news than to know that you don't have to work your way and try to be good enough to get into heaven. And any religion and any teaching about Jesus that tells you you have to work your way to approve yourself unto God from John and from Jesus is a lie from the pit of hell. It's a lie from the pit of hell. Because it's a chance for someone, the spiritual enemy, who's always been trying to keep people away from God, to make you, to put burden on you and heaviness on you and to make you focus on your own work instead of what Jesus Christ did for you. And the gospel, the good news, Merry Christmas, is this for anybody no matter where you're at. That's the message. And that's why John can say, I just want to tell you, people who are denying that 
are calling Jesus a liar. They're not accepting his testimony. And they're totally missing out. As, as one guy said, they're caught up in the lie that they still have to move their way towards God. And I tell you, man, I'm, I'm just so excited for a God who says, I love you. All of you. No matter who you are. So I would give you my son who's your Messiah who paid for your sin so that you could be forgiven of all your sin and be reconciled to God filled with his spirit so for every day you live on this planet you could share in his life and that when you die you will live with him forever Jesus Merry Christmas to you let's pray Father thank you for not leaving us to ourselves thank you for coming to rescue us and to save us thanks for Jesus and Lord I just pray for all of us again that you would help us internally deep within our heart to at least know what you said about yourself Jesus as the Christ and to know the truth about who you are based on your testimony and based on the testimony of those who walked with you and lived with you and we just pray that you give us the grace if we're going to say no if we're going to deny that help us to at least know what we're denying but if we're going to receive it and if we're going to believe it, then God, I pray that you would move in every heart in this room today to release us into that life so that we can know you and have fellowship with you and have our joy be made complete. And we pray for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So you guys, we just have one song today. And... Um, if you were here, I know of you a lot weren't here at the beginning of the day. We start off with what child is this, right? So that's the question. What child is this? Who do you say I am? And I think maybe if you were here and you heard it, you know, what child is this who laid to rest? You went, all right, K2's finally doing a Christmas song. Way to go. And you were excited about that. But we're going to sing that song again. Because what's the chorus say? This, this is Christ, the King. This Christmas, you guys, is a celebration of the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Savior of the world. I have never sang What Child Is This more fully than I did at the 930 service. You may never sing it again the same once you realize what we're singing and celebrating. So let's stand together and let's sing this final song.